to another episode of the Wembley Way podcast. Tonight is an England special with Tom as your host, Nick and new football enthusiast Orlando for an England under-21s autopsy. Following that, we have five things in the EFL by Sheld, England power rankings, and then finally, the listeners' questions. Welcome to episode 11 of the Wembley Way podcast. Uh, I used to say series one, episode 11. I didn't do it last week either. No, series one, episode 11 of the Wembley Way podcast. Um, this week, a slightly different episode. Um, obviously, we've it's International Week um, with both the England senior team and the England under-21s team uh, playing football. Um, so um, for the first half of the pod, we're looking at the under-21s side. Um, and then after that, we'll have the England senior squad power rankings and finally the listeners' questions. So, um, without further ado, this is um, England Youth Watch Extended Edition, where we spoke to um, Orlando, um, who um, we, we met over Twitter, and he re- um, describes himself as a, a youth enthusiast. And no, he was fantastic, wasn't he, Nick? It was really good. Uh, the youth enthusiast uh, description sounds a bit dodgy there, but. Um... But uh, uh, a youth football enthusiast is, uh, I think, what he's describing as. But um, yeah, uh, some would say expert. Um, but but he would he calls himself an enthusiast and uh, and is very very knowledgeable about about academy football and the England youngsters. So it's great to have him on. Yeah, I was certainly impressed. Um, and here he is. No, I'm I'm good, thanks. I'm I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to it, guys. Wicked, yeah. We obviously uh, wanted to bring you on to, uh, I guess, celebrate and uh, get excited about England under twenty one, uh, England under twenty one side and the uh, the tournament. But obviously, since then, uh, the first two games haven't gone so well. So this is more of a an under twenty one's autopsy, I guess. Right. Um, yeah, um, I guess for a moment, um, if we just discuss the English side, uh, the under twenty one side. Um, Maybe prior to the tournament, and I think there's still reason to be excited. What? Uh, who are the key players to watch in the Under 21s team? Um, and maybe a few words on some players that maybe uh, people won't know a lot about. Well, I think yeah, as you say, the the England squad is very much up there in 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 the top teams in the world, let alone Europe at, at this age group. I think if if you look at the squads. It, for this selected for this particular tournament obviously influenced a lot by you know various injuries or players who have been called up to senior teams but in this tournament I think you could say pretty safely that the big three in terms of squad quality are France, Portugal and England. Um, I think France probably well definitely is the best (laughs) if you look at their squad just by the players who who aren't in there um, that gives you a very clear indication of, of the quality level there but 
um, you know, obviously England, who, who lost to Portugal um, the other day, 2-0, um, ha have a fantastic squad. Um, the main man um, is, is quite clear to see from, from all of the qualifiers. He wears the number 10 on his back in this squad is Callum Hudson-Odoi of Chelsea. Um, he, he missed the Portugal, Portugal game with a, a knock he picked up in training, which is unfortunate, but he's very much the, the kind of star man in this squad. He's, um, yeah, fantastic on the ball, very diligent off it. He, he um, yeah, he's at the forefront of, of every attack that, that this side put together, really. I mean, there haven't been too many of those over the, <laughs> the, the two games that we've seen so far, but, you know, throughout the qualifying games, he was, you know, getting pick picking up man of the match in, in almost all of the games. Um, you can see that in the very... first game as well, couldn't you, Orlando? Where, uh, whenever, whenever he looked in trouble or when, whenever the players got the ball, it was always always looking to switch over to the right to Hudson Odoi to try and create something. It was almost like the, the sort of weight of creativity was just purely on his shoulders in that game. Yeah, absolutely. I think he was the real one player trying to make things happen. I think there weren't mm. too many good performers in that Switzerland game, but he was definitely one of the ones up there. You know, it didn't quite come off for him, but he was the only one really kind of getting close. Um, but someone else who, who I wanted to, to mention, to, who's very important to this team, maybe doesn't necessarily get the plaudits he deserves, but he has been a little bit more in the limelight recently because he's probably been England's best player over the two games so far, and that's Oliver Skip um, mm. in the defensive midfield role, obviously playing this season at Norwich on loan from Spurs, um, his first season in senior football. I know he made a, a few kind of cameo bench appearances for Spurs first team, but this is his first season playing regular men's football and he's he, he's taken to it like a duck to water. He, he's been brilliant for Norwich. Um, he's excellent in possession. Obviously, as everyone knows, Norwich like to play a, a possession game, keep hold of the ball, look for openings with, with their creative players. Um, and he, he keeps things ticking over really, really nicely. Um, but off the ball, he's excellent as well. Physical, he he's very good at tracking runners, keeping hold of his man. He's good in the air. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's an important player. And then just one to highlight in defence, um, who I'll talk about in a different section slightly later a bit more, but that's Mark Gurhey, who's another one playing in the Championship this season for Swansea, unknown from Chelsea. Um, he's just really a, a Rolls-Royce of a footballer. He's... He, he he doesn't appear to have a weak foot. Um, he's not the tallest, I think only about six foot. Um, but he's excellent in the air, very good at timing his jumps. Um, and, you know, his ball control is immaculate. Um, and, and his passing with both feet, as I said, is, is fantastic too. So those, I guess, are the three main players highlight in, in attack midfield and defense but there are you know obviously this squad is littered with with uh, talent so there, there are many more who I haven't mentioned and maybe we'll talk about a bit later in this section. It makes you wonder really what has gone wrong in the first two games for this side. Um, do you have any thoughts on the two matches so far? Well the first thing I'd say is that I personally wasn't overly optimistic going into this tournament because um, those who, who followed it will have known that a very, very similar thing happened in 2019 um, yeah. at the Euros when the squad was just as just as talented. There were yeah. players like Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, James Foden. Madison, Phil Foden, who actually that, that was one of the main criticisms of AD Booth, why Phil Foden barely played um, and, and, you know, England 
struggled to score goals. They weren't particularly creative and he mm. was sitting on the bench. Um, but this time round, there have been other criticisms to make of Boothroyd. Um, the first one being something that I picked up on on Twitter during the game, but Callum Hudson-Odoi playing on the right for that first game against Switzerland was really kind of mind-boggling. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe was the guy who came in to take his place. Emil Smith-Rowe, who hadn't played a single game for the England under-21s in qualifying. Obviously, he's been in fantastic form for Arsenal, and yeah, he should be playing at this level. But, you know, he doesn't, he hasn't played with the players much. And to take away that role where hudson Doy has shined so much in the qualifying games, to take that away from him and put him on the right foot, especially... It was such a weird role that he played on the right because he was normally that kind of inside number 10 that, that you know, suits this 3-4-3 system. But he was dropping really deep to receive the ball, um, often in right wing back areas um, with Max Ahrens pushing on. And it just looked like, well, the feeling you got was that A.D. Boothwright had seen the fact that Hudson-Odoi has played at right wing back a bit for Chelsea. <laughs> and he said, that. you know what, why, why doesn't he do that? And it, it doesn't make any sense, right? Because he's, mm. he's the best creative outlet, the best um, the best player going forward, really. Yeah. Um, and he's best at doing that from the left. He's good on the right as well. But it doesn't make much sense to kind of take him out for Smith Rowe, who's a good player, but he... His strength is knitting things together. It's not really kind of getting on the ball, driving with it, making things happen. He's more of a, um, I want to say luxury player, not really a luxury player, but he, he's not someone who's who's really got that explosivity and that drive. Yeah, he's not as direct um, uh, as Callum Hudson. Yeah, direct is yeah. a good is a good descriptor. I, I, that's not supposed to be a slight on Smith at all. I think he's no. a, he's a great player, but if you want to just kind of think about the roles they're playing, it, it doesn't make much sense. Um, yeah, it, for and, me, it, it seemed like, sorry sorry to buy in, it seemed like yeah. um, Boothroyd had picked, obviously, Greenwood in the squad. And I feel like he probably would have played Greenwood off of the right, like he has yeah. done for United and, and hudson Doy off the left. And then, obviously, with Greenwood pulling out, it was almost like, like you said, he'd seen hudson Doy play on the right for, for Chelsea under Tuchel recently and gone, OK, yeah, I'll go with that and, and see how it goes. And it, and it feels a little bit like just thrown together and the players haven't aren't used to that and haven't played like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that frustration of Boothroyd throwing things together was even more, I guess, compounded um, by by the uh, Portugal game where he had not imagined, he switched the formation. It was sort of a 4 4 2. He put Noni Madueke in um, for his England London 21 debut on the right hand side, who's a player I'm a huge fan of. But the right back was Jafet Tanganga, who has played right back a bit for Spurs. Um, he is a centre back by yeah. trade, you know, he, he's good at right back. But and on the left hand side was the two Sessanon brothers, Ryan on, on the, at left midfield and Stephen, who, who's a right footer at left back. And you really, really got the feeling from that that Bruce Ryder just gone. You know, Tanganga, yeah, well, we're putting more of an attacking team, so we're going to put a centre-back at right-back. And, you know, those two know each other, so they'll they'll fit together well. Likewise, for the Sessignon brothers, you know, just because they're brothers, it doesn't mean that they're going to kind of be a cohesive pairing, especially in, on, 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 well, not the most unnatural position for Steven Sessignon, but you, he's more suited to a yeah. right-back role. Yeah. Um, or even defensive midfield he's played some some of the time. And and Ryan Sessignon, and having Ryan Sessignon on the left, um, 
a brilliant player though he is, it really, um, I guess, messed up the balance of the team with Smith Rowe as that sort of, well, out of possession he was playing as a nine in, in that 4-4-2. It's more of a 4-3-1 on the ball. Um, he was, you know, drifting towards the left as he likes to do and really trying to do very similar things to Sessegnon and that that um, dynamic didn't really work very well. And, you know, by looking at the starting 11, you could have said, yeah, this is not really going to fit together. Um, and, you know, this team have been playing a 3-4-3 or, or a variation of that for months, years, in fact. Um, and this 11 would have looked better in a 3-4-3. You play Ryan Sessegnon, left wing back, Stephen Sessegnon, right wing back, um, Smith Rowe, Madueke as, you know, inside tens, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, it looks quite decent on paper. Yeah. Um, but throwing it into this unnatural formation, seemingly because he wanted to be more attacking, according to his quotes, it, it really didn't make sense at all. Mm. Uh, it's it's uh, one thing I've found strange, actually, because the two left-sided players, I suppose you call them, that he has picked in Sessignon and McNeil, um, Sessignon has played left-back a little bit, but not a lot, mainly left-wing back or left-wing. And McNeil, similarly, a couple of times left wing back for Burnley when they've shifted shape, but mainly left wing. It feels like it was it was almost perfect. He's, he's picked players to play a three at the back with wing backs, but yet hasn't really played that. It, it doesn't yeah. really make much sense. But Yeah, absolutely. I think this goes back to something which I won't dwell on for too long because I could, you know, I'll be talking for hours. <laughs> but there's a very big problem in the... Well, there has been for years a big problem in the England youth sides. And, you know, I guess it comes down to the FA that it's hard to really point to the real root of this problem. But they they're very reluctant to develop, to develop left backs. Lots and lots of development time uh, in throughout the youth sides from under 17 level up to under 21 level has been afforded to right footers. And Stephen Sessegnon's a great example of that. But you've got guys like Kyle Walker-Peters played there a lot. John Joe Kenny. Um, players who is very clear are not going to have a long-term future as a left-back. Um, and James Justin, actually, who would have been on the squad were it not for a, a terrible ACL injury that he picked up a, a few weeks ago. Um, he would have played left-back. And, you know, he is such a good player that even though he's a right-footer and even though he's, you know, nominally a right-back, he, he's tactically aware enough and, and you know, technically sound enough to be able to play at left back without it kind of, without you really being able to tell much of a difference. But when that player gets injured, you're, you're screwed basically. And that's forced him into play, into playing this 3-4-3 shape. Because you, if, you know, if you look at the squad, the array of attacking talent you've got there, it's, it seems crazy to only play three attackers. Um, you know, you want to be playing a sort of 4-2-3-1 type formation, but you've got no left backs. It, it's it's not possible. So he's been forced into this. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just, I guess in some ways I'm glad it happened because maybe it will give the FA a bit of a kick up the arse. But, you know, knowing them, you have to be sceptical. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought that two years ago, didn't they? So. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Swinging the conversations uh, back to Aidy Boothroyd for a moment. Um, a couple of our listeners have uh, had a question, uh, sent in a question rather. Um, Tom Sheldon at Tom Sheldon 31 asks, um, how harmful is it for the talent coming through to have Aidy Boothroyd uh, as their manager, who um, obviously has seen, overseen both uh, 
uh, two tournaments now, both of which have been uh, yeah, a failure. Yeah, absolutely, it's harmful. But I think another thing I'd say is that it's not, if you want to say, make the argument that it's not harmful as such, it's not actively harming their development, then I think that that's a perfectly fine argument to make because you know they're they're developing as players naturally they're developing with their coaching at the club when you come to international break you're not really going there to be coached you're going there to play and to to you know win games to win trophies to play with your, your mates especially at this level you know yeah. that they're, they're they can be very tight-knit groups in, in the in the uh, underage squads um and you're going there to, to play as a team and, and to enjoy it um and to represent your country but what it does is it's just a waste. It's not, it's not actively harming them, but it's such a waste to have this array of talent. And, you know, you talk all you want about winning the tournament. I don't, I'm not too fussed if you don't win the tournament because there are lots of teams, international football, you know, in its own right at whatever level is going to be very variant space. There's going to be a lot of luck involved with these kind of straight knockout games. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't win, but to have zero open play shots on target in two games, mm. you know, to have very few attacks, to look like a team who don't know what they're doing, it's just, it's such a waste. Yeah, yeah it's like that, that, that feel-good feeling from sort of progressing in a tournament, much like the senior team had <clears throat> in the last World Cup. To, to have that, that feel-good feeling throughout a tournament must, must be good experience going forwards for that player in terms of, playing for England later on or playing in tournaments for their clubs and things like that. It just, it just seems, you know, like you said, a massive waste that they haven't got that experience. Some of them have had it under 17s and number two, under 20 level, but not but not the under 21s as you'd expect. So it's yeah. definitely a waste. And also the other thing is that, you know, if you want to make the argument about player progression from the under 21 to the senior squad, you know, if you want to talk about playing a similar style or Boothroyd, you know, he... He keeps in close contact with Southgate, that type of thing. Only three players in the senior England squad currently, and that's Phil Foden, Jordan Henderson, actually, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, played over 10 times for Boothroyd's 21s. So if you want to make it about that, that it's not. The, the best youngsters mostly skip the under-21s. Yeah. You've got players like Mason Mount, Jude Bellingham, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Reese James, Bukayo Saka, Declan Rice, Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, all of those made none or zero to five appearances for Boothroyd's under 21s. So, you know, it's not, it's not doing anything, basically. Yeah. It's actually interesting because it makes you, it makes you not question, but wonder what the role of the under 21 side is. Like you said, most of the, most of the good players get into the senior squad before they even play for the under 21s. You think of like, I'm going to say, throw a name out there and you might not say he's good, but Walcott burst on the scene, went straight into the first team pretty much. Yeah. Rooney straight into the first team. Owen straight into the first team. All of these sort of, these um, these people who, who sort of burst onto the scene don't never play for the under-21s. Maybe, maybe the slower burners, perhaps people like Jordan Henderson, as you mentioned, sort of the ones who, who wear the 21s is, is, is good for them. But, Didn't Milner yeah, play make... like 300 games for the under-21s? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It, yeah. It makes you, makes you sort of wonder what yeah what the role of it is, I suppose. But, um, well, if it is yeah. maybe, as you say, more of a testing ground to um, get a feeling of playing international football, maybe. Then, as you say, you'd want to uh, perhaps a more 
um, expansive manager to do that, who could replace A.D. Freud um, if we had a choice, Orlando? Because potentially they could be replacing Southgate as well. I mean, if, if, they, if they follow this trajectory and being under-21's manager and then eventually the senior manager, uh, maybe that's something that we could consider as well. So I guess this question extends itself to not only the under-21s, but also a potential uh, first-team manager in the future. Well, before I say some names, I think the first thing to say is a really important point, which is that the England underage squads should not just be developing and showcasing talented players, young players. They should be developing and showcasing talented young coaches. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, A.D. Boothroyd is a dinosaur. A.D. Boothroyd, he got the England under twenty one job when he couldn't get any football league jobs. Sure. He got the England under twenty one job because he was friends with the FA's director at the time, Dan Ashworth, who's mm. who's now moved on and he's now at Brighton, but. He, he got the job because of a mate and yeah. because he his, was... His last job, sorry, his last job before he got the England uh, youth job was at Northampton Town where he took them to bottom of League Two. <laughs> there you go, exactly. So, <laughs> like... so yeah. the first, you know, you can say what you want about him being bad, which is quite obviously true, but there's also a very, you know, pertinent point to be made about the fact that what's the point of having a dinosaur like him as the coach of such talented players, not from a perspective of, oh, these players should be playing in a good team, but also from a perspective of we should be developing coaches with these players, right? There are so many good, young, upcoming coaches in English academies, in clubs across the country, coaching young players. England, they don't seem to want to pick them up. There are they do well with the coaches from sort of under 15 to under 17, 18 level. There's Justin Cochran, manager of the under 17s, who, who's a fantastic pickup from the FA and he's doing great things. And I'm sure he'll go on to, to much bigger things in the future. But once you get a bit higher, they, they really don't cut it at all. Um, for me, the one name that I want to throw into the ring, there's a bit of bias here because I'm a Chelsea fan. But... The same name as me. It's Jody Morris, who was fantastic at developing many players like Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson, Adoy, Reese James, the list goes on at Chelsea. In the academy, he's he's talked about in the highest regard by, you know, all players, coaches, parents, staff, all sorts of people. Um, He's out of a job currently. He is also somewhat experienced at the top level as assistant manager of Chelsea under Frank Lampard. and I would sh- I'm sure he would jump at the chance to be the coach of such talented players. So not only would him managing these players result in, I'm sure, a very exciting team to watch. Um, and, you know, the talent would be showcased well because he, he, you know, he's won, I don't know, maybe four or five FA Youth Cups in, in his career as a coach at Chelsea. Um, but also you would be developing him. And, and, you know, as you say, Tom, potentially he could go on to be an England manager in the future. I don't think that's something that should be at the front of, you know, the FA's minds when they're making this, this decision. But, you know, if you, if like you say, maybe it's in the back of their minds, then the whole idea is about developing someone. It's not just about earmarking someone who could, you know, become it in the future, you know, when Southgate potentially departs. It's about thinking, how can we develop them? Um, and this doesn't just go for the under 21s. It goes for all the, the age groups below too. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I always thought, um, obviously, Joe Edwards, I've, I'm a Chelsea fan as well, so I'm Chelsea mm. biased, but um, like someone like Joe Edwards, as he was coming through the academy at Chelsea, 
why. I mean, he, I know he did go to England for like a year, didn't he? On sort of a, almost like a secondment yeah. uh, in, in the youth groups. But why the hell they didn't just, just say to him, we need you to stay in the under-19s or under-20s or 21s. Um, someone like him and, and like you said, Jody Morris seem perfect fits. And I'm sure there's plenty of those types of people at every or lots of other Premier League and, and um, Championship academies who are doing fantastic jobs at the academy level and, and deserve a, a chance. And, and when you think of someone like Jody Morris, he, he would snap yeah. your hand off for the under-21 manager job. I'm sure he would. He, he, he seems he seems like the type of person who would um, who would absolutely want that job. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good name to throw in the hat. Yeah, uh, Kieran Gower at Kieran G A eight with that question. Nick, lastly, uh, you got a question for Orlando yourself? Yeah, I, I was just thinking. Um, you obviously watch a lot of uh, academy football uh, and and a lot a lot of the English younger age groups. Um, in your opinion, without trying to predict the future, I guess, um, can you name say five players who are maybe under the age of twenty one who who we think will go on to to have an England in England senior career? Yeah, so. I've got a list here. First thing I'll say is that, you know, you mentioned that I can't predict the future. <laughs> development. The other thing to say is development isn't linear. So one of these players might be 23 and playing in League One, but they might go on to play, you know, um, Premier League and international football later in their career because sure. everyone develop, develops at different times. But I've got, I've got a list all the same. Um, and I'll, I'll say a few words on each of the players. The first one um, is someone, well, it depends how much you... You follow championship football, but he is very much in the limelight at the moment. Um, particularly, he was in the limelight um, ever since he became Fulham's youngest player, I think, at the age of 16. Um, he was then picked up by Liverpool and he's now spending this season on loan at Blackburn Rovers. And that's Harvey Elliott. Um, only, I think he's only 17, might be 18 now. Um he is doing remarkable things for a player of that age in the championship. He is statistically, I think, the best creator in the league this season, or one of one of the best anyway, um, which is, is just crazy um, at, at that age. Um, it's He's basically doing something that we have never seen before. Mm -hmm. A player of his age putting that amount. He's not, this is the thing, he's not just kind of, you know, getting on the ball, putting some nice passes together. He's getting assists. He's getting goals. He is, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, metrics, expected threat, his expected threat is up there, um, right up there in the top of the league. Um, you know, talking about moving the ball into dangerous areas. Um, and it will be interesting to see what Liverpool decide to do with him next season. Um, because you, here you've got a guy who has played in the championship maybe isn't perfectly suited to Liverpool style of play. He's quite an on-ball player. Um, he's also got lots of fantastic forwards ahead of him. You know, will he kind of decide, well, will Liverpool decide for him to, to stay at Liverpool, learn off these players, but not get much game time or is game time the more important thing? Personally, I would be an advocate for him staying at Liverpool. And you might be a bit surprised by me saying that, um, but I think they have really lucked out with this loan working out because there was a lot of scepticism when it was announced um, and rightly so because people see loans and they see the successful ones but there are far more unsuccessful ones than successful ones um, and you know for him to go to a club who are just basically leeching off his talent for their own personal gain they don't care about his development um, 
is not always going to work out. Um, and for a player like him to learn off, you know, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, Diogo Jota, these types of players, and if if they can find some regular game time for him, maybe, I don't know, a thousand or so minutes in the season, then, um, you know, that would be the perfect scenario in my eyes. But, you know, maybe maybe they want him to go to Blackburn again for another season. I wouldn't be averse to that either. But finding a, another loan, specifically in the Premier League, Premier League loans are very typically volatile. Um, mm. I, I wouldn't be a fan of that. Mm-hmm. No, especially when they're attacking players almost because it's, it's yeah. I've seen it with, with Chelsea and you have as well players like Bamford Tammy Abraham going on loan to like the Swansea's of the world where they're just creating no chances it's, it's completely it's, it's the opposite of mirroring this type of football they'll play at their parent club so it's, it's yeah. completely pointless so I would almost rather than be a top championship club playing that that type of football yeah. um, no good shout we, we we did mention Harvey Elliott um, a couple of weeks back we had a Liverpool fan on um, raving about Harvey Elliott so uh it's good to see that echoed as well. He's definitely one to watch. So, incidentally, the second player on my list is also actually spending, well, the second half of the season on loan at Blackburn Rovers. Um, uh, this one is is owned by Manchester City and he's a, a centre-back, Taylor Harwood Bellis, who is, I think he's famous for being a diehard Man City fan and there are videos of him in the, in the City away ends chanting, you know, while, you know, his mates and, teammates in the first team who, who you train will have been training with are playing which is I, I like that uh, yeah, quite yeah. a bit but imagine like that gives him like an extra 50 percent in City fans eyes as well like <laughs> yeah, they'll, yeah. They'll, they'll let him make any mistakes he wants as long as, as definitely long as he's doing that but he is someone who maybe he, he isn't particularly talked about much but he he's quite a rare breed now nowadays He's in that he's someone who loves to defend. He's a centre-back who prides himself on being good at defending. He's obviously, he's came, he's come through the Manchester City Academy. He's obviously excellent on the ball as well. But first and foremost, he's a, he's a I guess, a no-nonsense defender. Um, somewhat reminiscent of, of a John Terry. Um, he's excellent in the air. Very, very vocal, very commanding. You know, he was playing under-23s football and I think even captaining the side at the age of 16, which is very rare. Um, and... You know, he he's he's just someone who I don't always like talking about mentality um, when with regards to football players because you know, as fans on the outside, we have no idea what their mentality is really like, um, especially young ones who you know haven't been in the media much and given interviews and stuff. But you can really see with him that he he is very very driven, um, and yeah, I would I would definitely put have him down as someone who, who's likely to play for England in the future. Great shout. One that probably a lot of our listeners wouldn't have heard of or seen played too many times. So it's a good one to include. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, my third player is also a centre-back and I mentioned him slightly earlier on um, and that's Mark Gurhi. He's a personal favourite of mine. He is, um, yeah, he's, as I said before, he's a Rolls-Royce of a defender. He's just a brilliant player. Um this Swansea team is was a bit of a hard one for him to come into. He had a rocky start. You know, he was not brilliantly seen in the eyes of many Swansea fans. Um, and then he was out of the team for a few weeks. Um, he came back in due to an injury, I think. And he has been playing pretty much every minute since. Um, and he has really kind of established himself as one of the, if not the best centre-backs in the championship currently. 
Um, he's playing on the left-hand side of a back three for a right-footer. I know I said earlier he is, he's very two-footed, but he is, you know, normally a right-footer. Yeah, a lot of people I know actually thought he was left-footed. Um, there you, you go. Know, sort of comfortable passes he plays out the back with his left foot. Yeah, there are some amazing ones if you if you look at his highlight reel. Um, you know, switches of play, but also the weight of pass um, is, you know, he's very, that's one of his specialities, a kind of weighted pass in behind. Um, mm. But also a little bit similarly to Harwood Bellis, he's very, um, he's a very refined defender um, for someone of his age. Like his, um, his skill set is not particularly suited to a, I guess, a, commanding centre-back he's only six foot tall um and but yeah his legs are absolutely huge he's got a, a brilliant physique um and I you know some fans some listeners maybe will have seen a clip of him completely chucking Raheem Sterling off the ball when when Swansea played Man City in, in the FA Cup a, a few months ago um he's just a beast um and i love watching him i've i loved him when he was at chelsea and yeah there's there's really no doubt in my mind that he'll he'll go on to become a chelsea player and in the future and, and hopefully following that an england player um he is also eligible for for Cote d'Ivoire um interestingly so mm. you know should that not work out um we'll see you know someone like um Fikayo Tomori he could have gone and played for Nigeria he played he chose to play for England he could play for Canada as well um yeah. now he's not in the England squad if he doesn't make it in the Euros we'll see you know maybe yeah. maybe he might choose to change but isn't um, um, going through something like that now I that's think. right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. as well he, he's going yeah. to the to the DR Congo well it looks like he's, he's gonna declare mm. to play for them and yeah. and rightly so because he, he's not getting minutes with England but yeah. um yeah Mark he is is one of my favourite players to watch at the moment. Swansea's style of players not being the best of late. It's, it's a little bit dire. They don't create many chances, but you know, he, having him in there is he's definitely a kind of shining light. Yeah, uh, you say um, sort of watching him watching him play for me, and he made a couple of appearances for the first team, isn't he? Uh, Chelsea um, yeah. in, in the cups, and the the sort of biggest compliment I always give to a young player coming into the first team is you're sort of not nervous for them. You know, sometimes when a player comes on and makes their debut, you're sort of you're nervous when they get the ball. Like, don't make yeah. a mistake, don't make a mistake. Whereas like him, other players have had that feeling. Sort of Reese James, they come in and you, you just know they're going to be fine. Like you know they're not going to make a mistake and you know they'll come through the game fine. So yeah, that he he reminds me of a type of player like that. And uh, I, I think um, the sooner we get him back in the squad, the better. Yeah, he's very very composed. I think likewise to to Harvey Elliott. There's there's a big debate on what's best for him next season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, stockpiling centre-backs recently, you know, it looks like Thiago Silva is going to sign a new contract. Looks like the same might happen with both Andres Christensen and Antonio Oedega. Um, Fikayo yeah. Tomori, well, I doubt he'll come back. I, yeah. I, but, you know, fingers crossed he will, but it looks <laughs> yeah. like Milan will, will choose to buy him. But, <laughs> You know there are lots of yeah there are a lot there are lots of centre backs. So while I'd love Gohi to come back and, and play significant minutes next season, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and for me, I think I don't want to see him go on loan in the Premier League because especially um, for for a defender, we've seen someone like Ethan Ampadu this season. Lots of people you know excited when he went on loan to Sheffield United. They're flying high last season. It's 
be honest, it's gone terribly. Um, and that's sort of ampadus, but that's just, you know, the way it is. Um, one thing I would say with Gohi is that I'd quite like to see him play in a uh, back four rather than the back three that he's in at Swansea. Um, I think he'd, um, you know, before coming back, I know Chelsea are playing a, a back three at the moment, but that's not likely to be a huge long-term thing. Um, yeah. So I'd like to, I'd like to see him get experience in a back four, preferably the, the next destination for him would be a team of Europa League level um, somewhere mm-hmm. in Europe. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think uh, an, another loan next year is, is probably the, the the right move, and that's what we'll see happen. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So we got we got two more left. That's right. That's right. And I'm I'm just gonna apologise now for my favouritism because Gurhi's one Chelsea player. I've got two. The last two players <laughs> on my list are both also Chelsea players. Um, Unbelievable. The last talent. The last one is a bit of a wild card, though. I don't think many people will have seen him coming. Um, but I'll talk. I'll talk about him when he comes. Um, but the the fourth player on my list is Conor Gallagher. Um, sure. And he's someone who I've earmarked as someone who will go on to play for England um, for a very very long time. I think out of everyone on this list, I'm possibly the most certain about him. Um, and a lot of you know, people may question that, maybe a bit confused by that, but. The thing is with Gallagher, he can play as a number six, as a number eight, as a number 10. He can play as a winger. He can do it all. For him, Conor Gallagher, he's the perfect 23rd man in a squad. And I don't mean that as a, as a slight on him at all. You know, mm-hmm. he, the best thing about him is that, is how well he does the basics. And that's been really, really evident um, in his play right from under 18s level um, when he was in the academy. His, his Christmas of passing, his technical, te- sorry, tactical understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously he's got great technical ability, great ball striking, good on set pieces. Um, but just the, the small things, he never, ever wastes time on the ball, never takes unnecessary extra touches. He's a very, he's a bit like Mason Mount. He's a coach's dream. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we see how much Gareth Southgate loves Mason Mount. Um and I really do think Gallagher is, is a player in a similar mould who, who will be loved by, by the coaches he plays under. He's very, very hardworking as well. Um, he, he, he runs so much. Yeah, does, so, yeah. yeah, I think, he, he, you know, he may not be a starter for England, but I think as someone who's a, a kind of regular in squads, I think that's, that's something that's very likely to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You heard it here. All right. right. So, right, who's your wild card? <laughs> Right, so my wild card, he's a goalkeeper. He's slightly cheating because he's 22. Um, but I thought that would be okay because, you know, goalkeepers tend to blossom later in their careers. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and it in there's, there's a hashtag that goes around on Twitter, most, uh, I think, initially propagated by at Chelsea Youth, who's, you know, Mr. Know, Mr. Know-it-all for, yeah. for, for Chelsea Academy stuff, um, which is hashtag future England number one. Um, so, you know, he suits the bill perfectly for this list. And, and that's Nathan Baxter, who at this season has been on loan at Accrington Stanley. He's sad and sadly recently um, just had an operation that will put him out for the, for the end of this seat for the rest of the season. Sorry, I think with a shoulder injury. But um, I did a bit of uh, statistical analysis of him, um, of, of his stats a, a few months ago. And he was, you know, he was in the 90th percentile for almost all the kind of important stats you can find in, in league one so mm. at 22 he was 
you know, I guess arguably the best or one of the best goalies in League One. And the best thing you can say about him is that he he's played two, over 250 career games um, at 22 years old. And that's more than Nick Pope, Jordan Pickford and Dean Henderson had played when they wow. were his age. So those are the three England keepers, uh, current keepers. I know Sam Johnston's in the recent squad, but that's due to Pickford's injury. So um, that is very, well, it's not actually that rare with the keeper because keepers you know, tend to like to go on loan early because that experience is very vital uh, in that position but he's done it to an extent that is quite um quite rare um you know two first loan or first two loans were sort of non-league clubs weren't they that's right yeah so he was at met police he was yeah. at woking he was at solihull moors um he was at yeovil he, he's been at loads of different um clubs throughout the pyramids he's he's been in league one this season he's been you know one, as i said one of the best keepers in the league you know championship is is the kind of what you would think he would go to next year um high level championship probably he's probably good enough for that um and you would like to think that clubs um are aware of his talent um just purely from his his data from his stats this season in league one um you know and obviously if you go and watch him it, it very much matches up with that um by virtue of having come through the chelsea academy where most most uh, academy sides, uh, most Chelsea academy sides are very ball dominant. He's excellent on the ball. Um, he, you know, short passing, long passing, you know, getting rid of it quickly, you know, taking his time. He's very good at that, very composed. He's a very proactive keeper. He likes to come out um, and and guard his area and, and marshal his centre-backs. Um, yeah, he's just... And he's also a really lovely guy. Um, he's intelligent. You know, he, he, you can see in his interviews, they're always brilliant. Um, uh, yeah, I really do think, again, without trying to put too much pressure on him and without trying to overhype him, I really do think that that hashtag of him as England's future number one could could very easily come true. It's a really interesting one. You know who he reminds me of, both, both sort of physically and his goalkeeping ability whenever seeing him play? Is um Emmy Martinez? Uh, oh yeah, that's sort of, good. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, sort of build, but also he, he sort of covers the ground really well. Makes the saves look look quite easy, like Martinez does. It's very, like you said, very dominant in the area as well. So yeah, it's just um yeah, good shout. And one I didn't. I, I think that's a really good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I think I need to get a uh, Spurs youth specialist on <laughs> to even this up. Where? I gave I gave you Oliver Skip earlier, didn't no, I? No, yeah, I was loving that to be fair. And and you you mentioned Tanganga earlier as well, equally. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. Cessic, no, there we go. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, on loan at the moment. Uh yeah. no, brilliant. I uh, thanks so, Alando, mate. That was really was really, really good, man. Um yeah. it's um clearly an expert in the field and uh a, a different kind of flavour to the pod, um, to bring that kind yeah. of level of depth of knowledge yeah. to the under twenty ones. Hopefully. That's my pleasure, guys. Hopefully England will win. Uh, when's the next game? Is it, is it Tuesday? It's Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday. So we're recording Hopefully it on the Monday England night. Win and the results will go away and we'll get through to the to the knockout stages with a bit of luck and um, and then we'll be able to have you back on and talk about the, the next stages. Yeah, yeah, I'd be, li- I'd be delighted to. But equally, you know, if they don't go through, you would very much hope um, and almost anticipate the uh, replacement of AD Boothroyd with someone new um, and, you know, That'll be interesting to see who that is as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, Actually, one, one more question before you go. Do you think there's any chance of anyone who's currently in the 21 squad making the Euros senior squad in the summer? 
Yeah, I do. I think the first guy I mentioned on, on this pod, Callum Hudson-Odoi, has a very decent chance, um, especially if he continues playing at right, a right wing back for Chelsea um, and Gareth Southgate persists with a, a three-at-the-back system. Um, you know, he could, he could be in there. Um, I think Jude Bellingham, you know, he's almost certain to make the Euros, the sorry, the senior Euro squad now, but he was one who who was, you know, in most most people assumed he would be with the 21s. Um, yeah. And I actually think it would have been much better for him to be with the 21s. You know, he's getting kind of 15 minutes against San Marino and Albania. It's not really ideal. He would have had a much better experience starting and, and you know, being one of the 21s best yeah. players. Um, I think that's probably it. Maybe Emil Smith-Rowe could have a shout if he can continues his form with Arsenal. Well, Southgate um, chucks him in like Boothroyd did. Maybe he's got a yeah. Shot. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with that Smith Rowe's got. He's got, you know, Foden, Grealish, sure. Mount, all these players ahead of him. So, yeah, I'm not sure how realistic that is. Um, I'm try- just trying to think if there's anyone else. I-, I don't I don't think there will be. I think maybe, maybe Aaron Ramsdale in goal has a shout if there are any injuries as a, yeah, yeah. As a potential understudy. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think there are any... Um, Play. The real play, the players who I would have said, um, are, you know, weren't in the squad. So Jude Bellingham, Bukayo Saka, and um, Mason Greenwood. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Brilliant. Thank you much, well, Orlando. If people want to follow you on Twitter, and they will want to follow you on Twitter, uh, what's your uh, Twitter handle? It is. Um, well, I don't know how to describe this audibly. It's like <laughs> it's Orlandino, but okay. the 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 first O is right. a zero. And the I is a one. So it's like zero per land one EO. <laughs> yeah, maybe youth expert, not marketing expert, but uh, is... <laughs> well, I'm joking. I prefer uh... <laughs> to call myself an enthusiast. No. And, uh... We'll, uh, we'll make sure we, we tag you on our Twitter account so that people can, uh, c- can follow you without, uh, without having to listen to this and, and decipher the code. That you <laughs> um but uh but yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be great. And uh, as we said, getting you on again sometime soon would be, would be great as well. No, I, I'd be very happy to, to do that. It was, a, it was a, a pleasure to come on, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, very much, mate. Cheers. That was great, Nick, wasn't it? Yeah, really enjoyable chat um, with, a, with a very knowledgeable person. So hopefully like we said we have him on again and uh and we can hear some some more of that fascinating fascinating chelsea youth insights yeah uh <clears throat> i don't need another one of you i mean <laughs> I don't, i'm not too sure but uh, but no was uh, a great uh, addition to the podcast and uh, and i'd love to have him back on um and it's that time of the week it's five things in the year fell five things in the Trotting along nicely, Bolton Wanderers won 1-0 at Forest Green Rovers at the weekend, moving them above their opponents into fourth in the League 2 promotion race. The win stretched Bolton's unbeaten run to 13 games. Top scorer Owen Doyle got the winner, taking him to 16 League 2 goals this season. Bolton have hit form at the right time, with the unbeaten sequence taking them from mid-table to one place and goal difference off the automatic promotion places. It's refreshing to see Bolton finally have some success, 
following years of off-field turmoil and successive relegations from the Championship and League One in the previous two seasons. Bolton fans will be hoping this could lead to the club trotting back up the leagues. No longer part of the crew. Crew Alexandra chairman John Bowler resigned last week. This was following the publication of the Sheldon Report into historical sexual abuse in football and also off the back of the BBC documentary Football's Darkest Secret. The report criticised Crew for not doing more to prevent the crimes by their former coach Barry Bennell. The League One club apologised acknowledging more could have been done to monitor Bennell. The Offside Trust, a group set up by survivors for survivors of childhood sexual abuse in sport, welcomed Bowler's resignation but criticised the time taken to make the decision, believing he only resigned off the back of immense pressure from survivors, journalists and Crew's own fans. Bowler had been Crew's chairman since 1987. Do or die for Middlesbrough. It's coming to the business end of the season and traditionally the Easter bank holiday weekend can make or break a team's season, with teams in the EFL playing on the Friday and then the Monday. This theory looks like it applies to Middlesbrough more so than off others. Borough are six points off the championship playoffs with eight games left to play. Over the Easter bank holiday weekend, they have two tough looking fixtures. They firstly play Bournemouth away, who are also in the playoff hunt and are three points clear of Borough. And they then host Watford at home, who are in great form and looking odds on for promotion to the Premier League. With a favourable run-in after these two games, if Borough can pick up four points or more over the weekend, it will give them great confidence that they can gatecrash the playoffs. One to watch, Oliver Skip. Whilst it hasn't been an enjoyable last few days on England under-21 duty for Skip, he has had a terrific season for Norwich City in the Championship. The Spurs low knee has been a revelation for Daniel Farker's side this season, and he has been a major cog in the Canaries midfield engine room. Skip has appeared in every league game for Norwich this season, with the team destined to win promotion to the Premier League. He has scored once, but it, it is his defensive work that has won him so much praise. Skip has consistently protected his defence by breaking up opposition play, and he is quick to start his own team's attacks. Norwich have already confirmed their intent to take him on loan in the Premier League next season. 7 up for Posh This made my performance of the week a really easy decision this week. Peterborough United 7, Accrington Stanley 0. This was Peterborough's biggest win since 2007 and laid down a marker in the League One automatic promotion race. Top scorer Johnson Clark Harris helped himself to a hat-trick in the demolition and moved himself clear in the League One golden boot race. The posh looked like they were going to score with every attack, whilst comical defending from Stanley also helped them along their way. Peterborough are second in League One, one point off hole with a game in hand, and it's looking like a three-horse race for the automatic promotion places to the championship between Borough Hull and Sunderland. This victory will give posh extra belief that they'll be returning to the championship for the first time since 2013. Five things in the EFL. Five things in the EFL. Five things. You definitely smashed it.
And next, we're looking at uh, the England power rankings. Of course, uh, usually it's uh, regarding their EPL form. But this week, it's the England national team, the England seniors team themselves playing. And um, we've got a couple of games to discuss. England 5, San Marino 0, and um, Albania 0, England 2. Um, Nick, um, as a consequence of those two games, uh, who are your movers and shakers this week? Um, I guess I'll just point out a few, few performances who, who caught the eye. I think... Um... The ever reliance on Harry Kane is obviously evident. He's already top of our attacking power rankings, probably top of our overall power rankings if we ha- if they existed. Um, but You're again, damn right, showing his his worth there. Um, I think I think again showing my Chelsea bias, but I think Mason Mount was very good across both games. Um, and, and the fact that Southgate played him in both games, um, I took him off at half time to rest him in the first game. But I think it just shows Southgate is relying on him. I think he. I think he will play for England in the, in the summer, not just go in the squad. I think he will start. Um, it's a really uh, accomplished finish, wasn't it? Actually, it was. Yeah, I think. I think for me, what stuck out actually was that, was actually against San Marino, which is easy to say because it's San Marino. But is his effort off the ball and chasing things. As soon as we lost the ball, it'd be easy against San Marino to think, well, we're going to win it back in a minute anyway. Not mm. going to do anything. But he, his his desire and enthusiasm as soon as the team lost it to get it back straight away and then create. Um, it was second to none, and um, yeah, for me, I, th- I think I think uh, he he was showing his worth, and I think he'll, he'll be a shoe in for the squad and, and probably start for Southgate. Yeah, um, I thought Luke Shaw and Ben Chill were both good in in, in their respective games. Um, for me, I, I'll be surprised now if he takes any other left back, um, which it also includes Saka. I think it's a shame that Saka hasn't featured um, due to injury. Um, because I think Southgate might have been looking to see what he's all about and possibly playing at left wing back um, if, if we shifted to that formation. But obviously he's gone with Chilwell and Shaw. And it's interesting that Shaw has played the um, the Albania fixture, which to me yeah. looked like Southgate's preferred 11 or very close to it. Yeah, perhaps. It would be interesting to see what happens with the Poland game. I think I think, I think, I think, think whoever plays the Poland game, it might be a case of that. that's his possibly the one he's preferring at the moment. But I, I don't think there's much between them, to be honest. I think they're, they're both performing performed very well for England. Uh, and Chiro is making his way back into the starting lineup at Chelsea now as well. So that'll sure. give um, him something to think about. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but both left-backs. I thought Reese James was good at right-back in the first game. But again, it's, it's San Marino. Um, Ward-Prowse for me, for, uh, for someone who certainly, uh, uh, what's the word, um, improved his chances on well, certainly making the squad and even potentially in a shout for that that deeper role. Absolutely, I was about to say it's a massively intriguing battle now between Ward Prowse and Phillips because I think that I think one of them will go because I think there'll be four four centre midfield spots in the squad, which one includes Mason Mount. So mm. I think it'll be Bryce Henderson Mount and then one of Phillips or Ward Prowse. Yeah. At the moment, it seems like Southgate's leaning towards Phillips, having played him in both games. But um, Ward Prowse, as you said, played very well. Um, scored a goal and created an attacking threat by getting in the box, actually, which is one of the criticisms of, of, of Phillips that I, that I have. Um, so, yeah, I thought Will Prowse was very good as well. So that's another, another good shout. Yep. And as for the uh, players who perhaps haven't helped themselves during this uh, international period? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure there's anyone really in the squad who you would say oh, they haven't helped themselves. Because I think both performances were okay. And no one really in the squad sort of performed badly, in my, in my view. I thought everyone, everyone was everyone was fine. Um, the one player I think, um, whether it's a negative or a down, but for me is, is Eric Dyer. I just he, he hasn't he hasn't made. <laughs> he didn't even play. Well, that's what I mean. What's the point of taking him? Southgate already knows what he's about. He's played he's, pl- he's played under him in the World Cup. 
he's, he's played under him in a lot of friendlies and qualifiers for the for the, for the World Cup and Euros. Mm. Why take him? Like you may, it's easy for me to say because obviously maybe Southgate thinks Dyer deserves a spot in the squad, but you've got he took an extra centre back when he didn't need him because he wasn't going to play him, didn't play him, mm. or hasn't played him. So he could have put, picked a, uh, another attacking player because we've been short on attacking players in this, in this squad because we've had injuries in Saka, Rashford, yeah. obviously Grealish being out, Madison being out, Sancho being out as well. So um, why not? Yeah, why not take an extra attacking player? Or if you're going to take another centre back. Then take one who's a little bit unproven, and you want to see a bit more of someone like Tamori or Consor or Holding um, players who haven't featured before, and, and and you can get a better look at them. So for yeah. me, I think it's just an absolutely wasted spot, to be honest. Um, uh, it's, it's not necessarily a, a, a down arrow for for Dyer because actually he made the squad, so it's probably an up arrow. Sure, um, but but the fact that he was in there just it just seems like a strange selection for me. What about um, Phillips? I didn't. It's a fun. It's obviously a it's a role in which uh, you're never gonna. Uh, light up a, a match, as it were. But uh, I think I don't. I think people left the two fixtures slightly less confident in him as a starter. I certainly wouldn't want Rice and Phillips to be playing together in the, the summer tournament. Uh, am I wrong? No, I think you're right. I, th- I think um, people have criticised maybe the formation. Uh, I don't think formation is necessarily a bad thing. But uh, yeah, Rice and Phillips together seems like that. Um, they're doing very similar jobs, in my opinion. And for me, Phillips, I really like Phillips as a player. I think he's very good. Um, but he fits a system at Leeds where every single player knows exactly what they're doing. They've been coached under Bielsa for years and years, or sort of three years now, I guess, yeah. um, into a system. And obviously that, that system isn't the same for England, so it's a different kind of player. But um, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll come on to later about, about his particular strengths and weaknesses and things like that. But um, yeah, I... Well, let's, no, let's do it now. Ben Crawley at Benjamin Crawley, uh, great at, um, and our previous guest on the Wembley podcast, he asked, um, is Calvin Phillips good enough for this England squad? I mean, I thought, you know, as he asked it, let's bring it to the fore as we're discussing the Leeds man. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I think he's good enough for the squad. Yeah, as I said a minute ago, I think there's four spots in central midfield in the squad. Um, and I think the last one's between Ward Prowse and Phillips. And, and like you said a minute ago, Ward Prowse definitely impressed. I think Phillips will do a job against the better teams. Uh, and by that, I think his, his strengths are his incredible energy and he will always show for the ball and he's very good at keeping the ball. Um, so against the better teams, when we lose the ball, he'll help to get it back. Mm. Um, and and when we do get the ball against the good teams, he'll, he'll have the ability to keep it. Um, I think my criticism in the England team of him is that he's passing at times... Um, particularly against Albania, I thought was was a bit safe, um, very quick, like first time passing all the time, or yeah. a lot of the time, but but very safe and very backwards, um, which I think in the games against the weaker opposition is not something you need. You need quick passing, but you need to go forwards and you need to be dynamic and through the lines. I don't think he was necessarily doing that, um, and I don't think he necessarily has a, a particularly great presence going forwards. Right. Um, either sort of shooting technique from outside the box or arriving in the box or m- making runs between the lines. I don't think he necessarily has that. So um, f- for me, I think he's good enough for the squad and I think it's easier to look at him and say, what, what is he doing? But um, but I don't, th- I don't think he should and I don't think he will start for England in the summer. Yeah. Um, I think what's led him to start is two reasons. One is obviously Henderson being injured um, and two is the injuries in the attacking positions, which meant Southgate hasn't been able to play Mount deeper. And I think Ken's, I think Southgate will play Mount deeper 
in uh, when he can, when when sort of Grealish and that back. Well, it's funny you say that. I mean, um, we've got another question here, which is, uh, yeah, related to what you, you've just said. Phil Reynolds at Phil Reynolds 93. He asked, uh, what do you make of the idea of playing six defensive, midfield, uh, defensive players um, back four plus Rice and Phillips against a team as poor as Albania? And you can imagine maybe the less competitive sides in the summer tournament as well, um, especially in an era where we have so many attacking options at our disposal. Will this cost us in the latter stages of the Euros? Mm, it's, it's a really good question. Uh, so... The first thing which I just mentioned is we have we have got massive attacking talent and options, but we we don't necessarily have them in, in this squad at the moment due to the injuries. I think was it Sancho, Rashford, and Grealish and Madison, if you count him as well, all out injured. Um, so crazy, I think, isn't it? <laughs> I think that's forced him to play Mount further up when I think he might he might test Mount out a bit deeper, which will change the dynamic dynamic of having six defensive players because it won't be six defensive players; it'll be five. Sure. Um, the other thing to say is I think that he. He has to play the formation and the players and the system that he wants to play going forwards in these games, whether it's San Marino, Albania, Poland or Brazil we're playing, mm. because he has to try and put them in match situations and try try those systems out. So I don't think us playing against Albania or San Marino in that system is a reflection of how we might play against a weaker team in the summer. I think it's more a case of we need to we need to practice this team together and this formation together because we haven't played it that much. So um, I, I'm not going to criticise Southgate for that. Um, I, also, lots of good teams play with two defensive midfield players. If you think of, sort of Chelsea, Leicester, United, City, I know City play in a very different way because because Cancelo comes in there and plays as a midfielder. Yeah. Um, Spurs do it as well, uh, say defensive, but um, Hoiberg and, and Dombele at the moment, West mm. Ham do it. So I don't, I don't think I don't think that's a criticism. I just think that you need to get the other players in the right positions, and by that I mean getting your fullbacks high and wide, uh, which I don't think we were doing enough, um, and and potentially having a goal threat from one of those two midfielders. Yeah. Another player we've forgotten, by the way, is uh, uh, Ollie Watkins. Uh, it wasn't in our player rankings a couple of weeks ago uh, in, the, in the entire ranking table. No, uh, he's, got an England goal. He's, got, he's got an England goal, debut goal, and we've ignored him again. That's a good point. Um, yeah, it's a good moment for him. And, and his interview after the game was quite nice to see. He was yeah. obviously very happy and uh, elated with, with his goal. Um, I, I don't think he'd make the squad in the summer. I'm not, I, I'd actually go as far as saying I don't think any other striker will. I think we might just go with two strikers mm. um, uh, plus Rashford as a as a backup. So, um, But it was good to see his route through football in terms of starting lower down and, and coming through the ranks is, is obviously a, um, an admirable path and yeah. I was very happy for him to score Just um, and he played well as well when he came on. But I, yeah, I think that's a, um, rewarding him for his efforts in the Premier League so far and just sort of getting a look at him and seeing what he's about rather than a long-term solution in the squad. And, uh, you know, his week has finished in fine form with uh, a mention on the Wembley Way podcast to boot. Uh, next up is the listeners' questions. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing four, four, fucking two. First up, then, we have... Uh, oh, it was for me, Nick. Do you want to read this one? You have to do it again. I don't have the questions in front of me when you do this. <laughs> oh. I just have like, my notes just say like, Chris Kane. Like, yeah. Uh, you didn't have to. I, I can read it, but it just right, seems on, weird. I've got, I've got it now, I've got it now. Go for it. I'm keeping it in. Go for it. <laughs> so, Chris, Tom. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. What do you think of Kane's comments that he'll, uh, that he'll think about his future after the Euros? Probably the first time you've spoken about th- thinking about his future. Uh, do you think he needs to leave for the sake of his career? 
Uh, he's probably in the top three number nines in the world with zero trophies to back that up. Thoughts? This is from Lloyd Arthur on Facebook. Yeah, cheers, Lloyd. Um, I think Kane's often asked this question, um, and he's often answered it in a similar way. It's, it's not alluding to much. He doesn't necessarily say um, anything interesting other than like this. You know, states states the obvious. Uh, I'm focusing my football. I'm focusing on England, and we'll see what happens next year. It's similar to what Bow said in a recent Q and A, and everyone, you know, all the Spurs fans went up in arms uh, after what he said, where they just they state the obvious. They can't necessarily. So they're definitely gonna, they're definitely going to stay, um, and but equally they're not going to uh, they're not going to shout from the rafters that they want to leave. Should he leave? Uh, he probably should leave. I think I said t- I said this a few weeks ago. I mean, good good God, I do not want him to leave. He is he is, I love the man. Um, he personifies Tottenham. Um, he, he's the best player at the club, the best player in the country. I, I think the best striker in the world. Um, but for that reason, you know, he he probably would be better served um, at a at a, a bigger club. Um, I think personally, he wants to he wants to uh, get that all time Premier League goal scorers record. Yeah, definitely. And because he, he he's a man who loves his records, and he can only do that by staying in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, and the only place he can go, which isn't a London based club, which I don't think he would do. Mm. It's Man City, but then equally he goes to Man City and he, okay, he, might, he may win a Prem. I don't know, what, what's he trying to achieve? Is it just to get the, the medal, in which case fantastic, but, or is it to leave the game with um, a, legacy, uh, a legacy? And he I think go, if, he could go to City for three years and win a trophy, win a Premier League every year and win a Champions League once or something. That, and that, that, should, like, that would. That's true. Like, I think, I think if, we're, if we're saying like, he's going to go there for one year and win the Premier League, yeah, no, like, that's, that wouldn't. But if he's going to go there and, and sort of cement a couple of major trophies for them. I think that would, yeah. I guess he's got asked the question, what matters more? Yeah. Okay. Let's say like the best case scenario though, isn't it? It's like three Premier Leagues and a trot, yeah, yeah. maybe even a Champions League in there. And don't get me wrong. That's amazing, right? That's the best case scenario. But yeah. if he goes there for the foreseeable future, he could win a, you know, it's pretty much bang on that. He'll probably win a Prem. But then equally me saying that, and that being a relatively standard, not a very acceptable thing to say, almost, Stresses the point that him going there and doing that is not is, is that a big is that uh how big of an achievement is it because they're gonna right how big of achievement is it yeah, exactly mean, exactly but... that so I, I I think that's you know that's my point really like um, will what does he want does he want that um, tick of the box or does he want the prospect of winning anything at Spurs and because it's his boyhood club um, it it will mean so much more I guess that's what I'm trying to say yeah yeah that's a fair point that's a fair point uh, well I suppose while we're on the subject of Kane. Uh, might as well ask you another question we've got from listeners. Great. Uh, this is from at Christopher underscore A underscore I. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher Irvin. Yeah. And he says, do we slash England require Harry Kane to drop deep and play the quarterback role as he does so well for Spurs? Or do England simply need him to be our point, uh, the point of our spear? And I think this, this refers to um, debates on Twitter and Ian Wright's comments at half time about um, we not we don't need Harry Kane to drop deep and try and create things. We need him in the box to score goals. So, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's quite a village opinion, a village argument to suggest that your striker needs to be at all times off the last shoulder, sorry, the shoulder of the last man. Um, I think Kane's proving it at Spurs that that you know he, that he's more than just a, a, a fox in the box. Um, in the way that he plays, but also the numbers that he's putting up. The man's scored the most goals in the Premier League, but he's also got the most assists in the Premier League, which is just insane. What England need to do is 
um, is to accommodate when Kane drops deep is to make those kind of runs. And with that Sterling or uh, a Foden um, making those more advanced runs when Kane drops deep, then that's what we need to do. Long, long and short of it is, I think we should accommodate Kane's um, willingness to drop deep in order to create. Tell you what, if we if we play in the Euros and we can if we leave the Euros and say Kane was unbelievable in that tournament, we might have got to the semi final. We might have won the thing. This is how good Harry is. If he has a good tournament playing the the, the way he likes at the best of his ability, then England can do anything. Let's just put that us in that in that position by um, enabling Harry, not l- uh, limiting him by making him stick at the back post. Uh, you know, um, on the on, let's say on the shoulder of the last man. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I massively agree with the simplicity of Ian Wright's like pausing. I think I think it's been blown out of the water because is one pundit who we'd probably all admit isn't isn't probably the greatest pundit in the world anyway. What uh, one take at half time of a match, but pausing it and saying in hindsight and saying he should have been there. If mm-hmm. I can't remember who crossed the ball from the right in the end, but if they crossed it and um, I think it was Foden in the box mm-hmm. coming into the box. If if the cross was right and Foden taps it in, everyone would be lauding Harry Kane's um, build up play, yeah, creating that chance. So. It's sort of it's very simplistic to say that. I'm, I'm going to go at Ian, right? I mean, it's not, no. it's not an easy job, is it? You watch, you watch, you watch right four five minutes, and you've got to come up with like a hot take, yeah, and then the whole it. country's watching, and then this happens when you when you just yeah. say it because you know what? In five minutes later, he scores at the back post, and it's an easy narrative there. So I'm not having a go. Do you know what I mean? It's just I I, I someone joked. I think your brother joked on WhatsApp. This summer's is going to be the having a go at Harry Kane for dropping deep uh, story, isn't it? And you can just see it happening. It's just I'm already tired of it. Yeah, I think the one thing I would say on it is that. Um, at Spurs, you have Son, and yeah. Son Son is a world class runner and world class. He's like basically Vardy uh, in, over the shoulder of, and silly finish one on one. And England, we have Sterling, we have Rashford, we have Foden, as you said, players who are probably capable and willing to run in behind. Um, but if Southgate doesn't feel like those players are capable of doing that Son job and, mm. and um, good enough goal scorers like Son Son is, mm. then then perhaps he feels like. Kane is the only natural goal scorer in, in, the, in the team and therefore he needs him to stay up a bit higher. It doesn't mean he can't drop deep. It just means he maybe does less of it than he does at Spurs. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Playing to Harry Kane's strengths is the best chance that England have got of, of winning or doing well in the tournament. So um, why not? Why wouldn't you? Yep. Um, I've got a question for you now, Nick. Your turn. Uh, yeah, so Sean McSweeney at Sean MCS. He asks, in your opinion, which formation should England play in the Euros and why? Smirky face emoji. Okay. The emoji. <laughs> um, well, it, it, well, copy and paste of Twitter, right, onto the, my notepad thing. And when you copy and paste an emoji, it doesn't support the emoji. It just says that, like, it just, just describes the emoji. So it just uh, says smirking face. So I literally did describe yeah, it. Yeah, I literally just read it. Yeah, well, uh, whatever. Anyway. I, so I mentioned that a minute ago information when we talk, when uh, Phil Reynolds' question came in. But um, yeah. uh, for me, it's going to be probably an unpopular take because the, the wealth of attacking players that we have. But I, I still think that um, a three at the back, so either a 3-4-3 three, three, or a 3-5-2, um, possibly a formation that's flexible between the two, Mm. Um, so maybe you have someone like Foden who makes up a three if, if you're playing three, four, three, uh, but also can drop in into a five-man midfield, uh, say like a number 10 if you wanted him to. Mm. I still think that's the best formation. I think um, it, it, it secures our defence a bit more. Um, we know our, our centre-back troubles, um, so I think having the extra man, Walker, in there as a centre-back definitely helps with that. I think it allows us to push the full-backs or wing-backs on very high and wide which occupies not only a, a, a space and a danger for, for crosses in the box, um, but also occupies uh, the opposition defenders rather mm-hmm. than their midfielders. And then that allows the three attacking players, 
so let's say in, a, in in that system it might be I don't know Foden, Sterling, and and Kane. Let's say um, you, it allows them them to be a bit more narrow. And I think yeah. I think if you go for all of the attacking players in our squad, you have got Sterling, Rashford, Kane, Mount, Foden, Grealish. I say all of them except maybe Sterling, but even then there's a doubt about it. All of those actually want to play inside. None of them want to play wide as an out-and-out wide player. Maybe coming in from the left or coming in from the right, but none of them want to play as a winger. So I think by pushing your wing-backs up higher, you can have them as attacking players still. As Reese James is obviously very creative. Chilwell, Shaw can create things. But it pushes those three a bit more narrow, the three attacking players. Um, into sort of more half spaces where probably they're more comfortable and where they can cause opposition more issues in between the lines. So yeah. for me, I, I would go with that formation. Um, you have two midfielders screening, and I don't think that has to be defensive midfielders. I think I think Mount can play in there, Henderson can play in there, um, and Rice as well. I think it'll be Mount two of them. deeper excites me because I think then it unleashes it not only uh, fulfills uh, a deeper role with a slightly more expansive player, but also is defensive in that he, you know his pressing game is insane. Yeah, yeah. But it also unlocks a further position a position up front or you know, yeah. in those more advanced roles, which we've got abundance of talent in. in. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I do think I do think I think it's a very um, uh, what's the word? It's a very attractive option by mm. bringing him deep. I do think it, by moving him deep, you miss something uh, towards the end of the pitch, which is sort of that just endless hassling and winning the ball yeah. higher up. Whereas Grealish might not, for example, be as uh, ruthless in in the press. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, um, Kane's header um, against uh, Albania from Shaw's cross. It came from the sort of it was a fifty-fifty ball in the air. And then and Mount is right near the edge of the area, did like a lovely sort of outside the foot touch and turned at the same time. Yeah. I don't think many other players in our squad sort of think about or have the capability of doing that sort of thing higher up the pitch. It's that sort of quick thinking and quick action um, that, that that he implements that I think c- catches opposition teams off guard. So I do think you miss that, but I think dropping him deeper is definitely an attractive option as well. So um, yeah, my long story short, Sean, my formation would be a three-four-three. <laughs> Flexible three five two, um, and and obviously if it's a three five to two, you're pushing essentially Sterling or Rashford up closer to Kane uh, as a two um, or, or wide as a three. So we mentioned, uh, or I mentioned Jack Grealish uh, momentarily there. Stephen Willett at Stephen underscore Willett asks, um, Jack is a talent that would uh, that would feel criminal not to include in the squad. Uh, where do you think he will fit in the starting eleven? And I guess, uh, or, I guess if if, he, if he's not in your starting eleven, uh, how could he be uh, maybe as as part of a substitution? Mm. Yeah, I was going to say criminal strong, but actually I misread the question. I thought I thought he said criminal to not be in the starting eleven, which I think is a bit harsh. But mm. um, yeah, I think it's criminal for him not to be in the squad. Sure, yeah, I th- I and think, I think he will be. I think permitting, uh... yeah, I think he'll be in the squad. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I still don't think he'll start. I, I would like him to start, but everyone then... wants him to start. He's the sexy yeah. selection, isn't it? Every exactly, tournament yeah. has one, but it doesn't make it yeah. right. Uh, he's yeah. untested and untried, and I think that's why it makes it a sexy option as well. Because people right. always like the next thing, right? Hmm. Um, uh, so people have been calling for Foden for ages uh, because he hasn't hasn't necessarily played that many times for England and Man City, and then and then sort of people call for Grealish because he hasn't played that many times. So yeah. I think that um, he, he's that that sexy option, as you say. Hmm. I do. Um, he's he he could be hugely important to England in terms of making an impact. I think the games like Albania that we've just played are perfect for him because we are going to have more of the ball. We we are confident that we can. Uh, defend our goal and keep and keep them keep the opposition from scoring um, or at least outscore them and he is the type of player who will unlock a low a low block defense uh, and and cause them an issue one on one whereas I don't think 
I think he's the, he's the player in our squad who's most gifted at doing that. And it comes so easy to him to take a player on, take two players on one on one, and occupy players. Um, so I think those sorts of games are, are key for him. I don't, th- I don't think, and, I, and I'll say this like you said with your Harry Kane quote. Mm. I, d- I don't think Southgate will start him in in the games against a decent team. I don't think he will because because he will favour um, players one who have done it at the, at the top level, I suppose, and playing at the top clubs, but two who whose instinct as soon as we lose the ball is to get it back. And you think of Sterling playing in a Pep team where that's yeah. exactly what they do. That's exactly Mount's game. Um, Rashford again under, under Man City. It's all uh, Man United. It's all about the transition. So I think he will favour those sorts of players ahead of ahead of Grealish. But um, a huge, a hugely important role to play in the squad. I think this, this is what happened, right? So he doesn't start in the first game, or maybe even the second. But we play a, a lesser side. He maybe comes on and lights it up, and then everyone's calling for him to, for him to start in the big match. He then isn't, and then. <laughs> probably end up going out Southgate's the villain do you know what I mean you can just you can just see it can't you happening yeah, yeah. but but, but <laughs> if you don't do well this summer there'll be there'll be an argument that one player should have played more than they did yeah you can't play the way. so there's there's bounds I think this time more than any I think you you're picking a 23-man squad where I'd say like barring the, the goalkeepers where actually all the goalkeepers could you could argue to start not for good reasons though yeah um <laughs> like pretty much every player in the 23-man squad could start a game or could well, start it, an important game should I say Southgate's just gonna have to win it then, isn't they? Really? Yeah. Let's hope so. We got one more question uh, by Paolo De Canrio at Real Hoy, who asks, "Has have any of your friends ever made John Joe Selvi cry?" Like, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't understand this question. Is no. there something? Is there something you know that I don't? Um, no, I've got no idea what he's on about. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> uh, no, so I mentioned we played against John Joe Selvi before, didn't we? And then, of course. And then he, obviously he's our age as well so he, and and he grew up around our way um so i i, I mentioned in passing to to rio right um by whatsapp after the last episode that i, that I left out a bit about one of my ex teammates at, at, at billericay town oh well then do share school. tell us the story nick yeah. so yeah one of one of our ex teammates who you know max, max rosenberg um, yeah I, I, I doubt he'll be listening to this because i haven't spoken to him for quite a while um but uh he uh slid tackle I guess um, slide tackles, slide tackled. Uh, yeah, John Joe Shelby in a school game, <laughs> and uh, and I think it injured him, and and John Joe Shelby cried. So um, that I did, I did mention that, and uh, I think that's why he's egging me on to say it. So a claim to fame there. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think a claim to fame is probably having the ball lobbed over my head three times in a row by John Joe Shelby rather than someone I know making him cry. But uh, I think we're really dining out on this one. Maybe. I think we're really dining out on this one game, one half of a game in which we 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 you know played against John Joe Shelby. What do you think? Yeah. Well, probably. I'm just trying to rack my brains of, of thinking: is there anyone else um, of any talent who I've actually played against um, in terms of who's gone on to be a, a player who, who we might know? And I can't think of anyone. So, so no, we will have to mention John Joe Shelby every week. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> um, yeah, next week uh, we have a, a full section on him. And if you want more of John Joe Shelby. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast feed. Uh, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or Google Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. Share us to uh, your friends on social media. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram now at The Wembley Way. And remember to check out our website for previous episodes and the latest England squad power rankings at thewembleyway.com. I hope you enjoyed that um, England-focused Wembley Way episode. I certainly enjoyed it, Nick. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely getting me excited for the summer. 
Yeah, uh, I think we're going to ramp up uh, the, the the national side features as we get closer to the, the to the tournament. Indeed, indeed. I look forward to it. Absolutely. I've been Tom, and I've been Nick, and we've been the Wembley Way. Good night. Yeah. Oh